So now we are going to open our Bibles to Numbers chapter 15. And as we come to Numbers chapter 15, we pick it up in chapter 15 on the heels of chapter 14, where we saw that the nation of Israel refused to go into the promised land. The people believed the report, the bad report of the 10 spies, and they refused to go in. They saw the good fruit. They heard from Joshua and Caleb. It's an awesome place. Even though those with the bad report said it's an awesome place, they just said it's not for us. But Joshua and Caleb, you have a great report. And so we got to go now. God's promised it to us. We just have to believe the promises. And we just got to go. Let's go right now is what Caleb said. But in the end, they rejected that. So God rejected them. The, the spies who gave the bad report, the 10 spies, they were struck down by a plague from the Lord. And God pronounced judgment on everyone over 20 for not believing his promises to enter in. And so he told them, you're not going to enter into the promised land. So for the next 38 years or so, they're going to die in the wilderness. Everyone that was over 20 on that night, except Joshua and Caleb, who had the good report and believed the promises of God, they were going to enter in. So it's a a massive seismic shift of what's going on with the nation of Israel, because they're still a nation of about two and a half million people. But the distinction now is a large portion of those people are just going to go wandering through the wilderness and never enter into the promises that God has for them. And those under 20 are now the focal point of who will go into the wilderness. And that's our background. So think about this. As we go forward in Numbers, as we go forward in Deuteronomy, the word of the Lord that we're going to be reading is directed toward everyone under 20 of that day, plus Joshua and Caleb, and then the future generations that would be born, the future generation born in the wilderness, because people are still going to get married in the wilderness. They're going to have families in the wilderness. They're going to fall in love. So they're going to do that for 38 plus years in the desert. Then that generation is going to triumphantly go into the promised land led by Joshua and inspired by Caleb and conquer the land, arguably the greatest generation in Israel's history of their existence in their covenant with the Lord. So as we come to chapter 15, we just we leave off everyone over 20. And we are focused on the younger people, plus Joshua and Caleb, and the future generation to come. With that background, we pick up in verse 1, and we read this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you've come into the land, you are to inhabit, which I am giving to you. Back in chapter 13, when he sent out the spies... God said this, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. Of course, our God's a giving God. He's a blessing God. And he makes promises of what he's going to give. He promised to give them the land. And that was a confidence for Joshua and Caleb when they stood up that night and said, we got to go now. God's promised. He's given his favor. We're going to be victorious. We just got to go step out in faith and go enter in. So God said to everyone In the entire collection of the people previously, when he sent out the spies, go see the land I'm giving you. And yet, those over 20 rejected that testimony to enter in and take God at his word, at face value in his word and his promises. So here, in the reboot, again, and and Joshua and Caleb had said, if the Lord delights in us, he's going to give it to us. He already promised to give it to us. We saw that last week. So now, in the reboot, the reload, the refocus, the renewal, the new beginning, God affirms the same basic promise that the previous older generation has rejected and cannot receive to the next generation. And he says, when you've come into the land, you are to inhabit, which I am giving to you. Now, the rest of this chapter, he goes into 
the type of sacrifices, he reaffirms the sacrifices of his people in the relationship with him. So how he's worshipped with the sacrifices. Then also, so it's like the basic obedience. We've covered that in Leviticus, the basic obedience. This is your peace offering, this is your burnt offering, your sin offering. He adds the grain offering, the wine offering as part of that. But he just affirms to them, when you go into the land, which I'm giving you, you're going to do the offerings like we've already covered, but I'm going to review it. It's like the, the code, if you will, or the, the oracles. God's just going like, this is our culture. Okay, so we're starting all over again. It's a youth conference. Everyone under 20, listen to me carefully. When you go into the land that I'm giving you, let's start again with the basics, the foundation, the sacrifices. You're going to do the sacrifices, which I outlined in Leviticus. You're going to do them because that's the basic obedience that I have that reflects my son, Jesus Christ, to you. That it's his, all these sacrifices speak of my son, Jesus, who's coming. And you need to understand that life is in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And so I'm going to remind you, like I told your older generation, which they rejected me, that the life is in the blood. And there has to be a substitute. So you're going to learn when you come into land, you're going to have the animal sacrificial system to teach you the consequence of sin and the value of substitution and ultimately things that are pointing to my son, Jesus Christ, when he comes to redeem the world for the redemption of your souls is very costly. He covers that. So that's just proactive stuff, like basic stuff, foundational stuff, the animal sacrifices. Then he also says about the grain offering, when you bring the grain offering, bring the first of your grain offering like a tithe, and that's what you'll do as well. So he's telling the next generation, so when you come to the land, which I'm giving you, you're going to do this animal sacrificial system. There's nothing new. I'm just reaffirming what you already know. It's the truth, and it's the basic foundations. So you'll honor me with your first fruits. It'll be well with you because these are the things that I bless and honor. So you'll look to me to be your provider. So when you bring in the grain offering, you bring me the first offering because I'm your provider, and the tithes belong to the Lord, and that teaches you to trust in me with everything by acknowledging me in the first thing because I give you everything, and everything you have is from the Lord. Now, when you come into the land and you... Sin unintentionally, collectively. Well, sometimes a group of people might sin unintentionally, collectively. So it's a group of people that didn't wake up and say, hey, let's rebel against the Lord. But something came about, pushed the buttons the wrong way, and, you know, they sinned unintentionally. When that happens, you're going to do this and have the sacrifices and the priest will intercede for you. Or if you personally sin unintentionally, you said, I can't, you had a good morning devotion, you listened to K-Wave on the way to work, you got to work, that co-worker's been grinding on you for three years, and you just, that was it, man. It's like you didn't plan it that way, it just went that way, and it was a bad day, and it all unraveled, that's sinning unintentionally. You didn't wake up and say, I just can't wait to wreck my life and other people today. It just kind of went that way, because that's how life works. That's sinning unintentionally, and it happened that way, and you feel foolish and embarrassed or whatever and repentant, and you individually, now we come have a sacrifice. But if you sin willfully, that's a whole different matter. That person will be cut off. So he's telling this next generation, all you under 20, if you sin willfully like your parents did, and you like plot and plan evil, and then you pursue that evil, and like James would say, you know, you have a, you, you conceive sin in your mind, and then it develops in your heart, and it brings forth, you, you birth it. He uses the, actually the cycle of, of a baby being born, but when it's birth, it brings forth death, sin. And it runs a course. So if you do that, you're cut off from your people. So he's teaching the distinction between like applicable grace through Jesus Christ, how we look at it, applicable grace where grace is properly applied, 
or cheap grace that Romans 6 warned us about where grace is misapplied and is an excuse for every evil thing that people do premeditatively, living in open sin, open rebellion, saying God loves me, God wants me happy, and I can do whatever I want, and I'm saved by grace. That is a cheap grace. That's willful sin. And God says to them, to the next generation, you'll be cut off from your people. Then, in the same chapter, the guy's picking up sticks. So this guy picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, completely forbidden. This is an example of purposeful, willful rebellion to God for personal covenant. They pull him aside. They, they go to Moses. Moses seeks the Lord. The Lord's like, he's got to go. He's got to be executed. People got to know that you don't transgress the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath speaks of what Christ would do for us on the cross, by the way. So that's actually blasphemy against the cross when he was picking up the sticks. But the real issue is just open rebellion. You have to deal with this. So, in other words, when you're all you under 20... When you come into land and you've got to confront difficult things and you have to call a spade a spade and you have to call sin, sin, and you have to deal with the sin and put it outside the camp, will you do so? Because I'm going to show you right now, this is what you must do because if you don't destroy sin, it will destroy you. And when they were in the promised land under Joshua, God said, if you don't destroy these people, they will destroy you. Then finally, in the same chapter, this is all connected, talking to everyone under 20, when you get in the land and you you'll add tassels to your robes. And those tassels will remind you that God's word is a, is a basically, Danny prayed earlier, a lamp into our feet, and it's a restraint against evil. And so he taught them to put some special threads on their clothes to remind them to restrain them from willful sin. So like some people get tattoos to be a reminder of something special in their life or whatever, like, you know, you had the bracelet, what would Jesus do type of thing? God says, hey, that's, a, that's not a bad idea. It's actually a good idea. So you're going to do this to restrain you. So let me review. After he said what we just read together, that first, those first two verses, in reviewing the rest of the chapter, he says, this is what you're going to do proactively. This is what you're going to do when you sin by accident. This is completely intolerable, and it won't, you'll be cut off. And this is an example of what gets cut off. And then this is what you're going to do to restrain yourself from sinning in your own life to prevent it so you don't end up being the person cut off. You don't wake up willfully rebelling against me. That's what's in the chapter. So they're going to have to decide in their own generation what kind of life they're going to live. So it's the reboot. It's the reload. God is starting over. And, you know, we can relate to this in life because this happens at work. This happens with sports teams. This happens with churches as well, where sometimes things just get kind of blown up. There's division. There's discourse. And people say, I'm not going to play for this coach. I'm not going to work for this boss. They brought in new management at the company. I'm not going to work for them. I can't deal with this. This is ridiculous. And you almost have a reboot and a reload. For me, of course, in Virginia Beach is a very powerful memory. My wife would be the one person that was there at the time would know. But went through a lot of terrible stuff in October of 1991, the first year of the church. And we were doing really well. And then all this division and discourse began and I had to actually address things from the pulpit after a service because it was so bad. And I basically said, look, God called us to be here, and we're not going to defend ourselves, or we're not going to attack anybody. So if you believe that you want to be a part of this work and this ministry, the vision God's given us to start at Calvary Chapel in Virginia Beach, we'll be here on Wednesday night, and we'll be here on Sunday morning. And I look forward to seeing you. Well, Wednesday night, there was two people to the right when the week before there was like 45 people. And it's a reboot. Okay, so, Paula, Mary, let's open our Bibles and go through Matthew. See, that you just you focus on who's there. That's what I learned. You focus on who's there. Those people that left that were poisoned by one phone call, 
They, choose, they chose to obey the, listen to the voice of a stranger as opposed to, I guess, another stranger because they'd only been there 10 months, but they're both strangers, but they chose to believe a bad report. There was more people on Sunday. We went forward. We had to start all over again. That happens in life. God is starting all over again. So not only did he lay out for them the rest of the chapter what to expect when, they, when you come into the land, when you, when, God's timing, you come in the land that I'm giving you his gift, these are the things that you can expect. I gave you the whole context there in a, in a survey. So we can relate to this. This happens. It happens to us. In the Bible, we see it happen as well. For example, God made Saul the first king, right? He anointed him king. He was hiding. Where is he? Oh, he's hiding over there behind the, the trash bin, right? But they went and got him. Hey, you're the king. You're the tallest, best-looking man in all Israel. You look like a king. So you're the king. And Samuel anointed him, and he was the king. Then, in an act of disobedience, God declared through Samuel to Saul, you behaved very unwisely in offering up the sacrifice, which was not for you to offer up. And he said, because you did this, God has rejected you and chosen a man after his own heart who will, who will serve me and love me. And of course, that was King David. So listen, God rejected Saul, but he was still king. And he anointed David, who would be the future king. The two courses run in simultaneous, just like everyone over 20 and everyone under 20 through the wilderness for 38 years. The two run together like sheep and goats, clean fish, dirty fish, the wheat and the tares running together, parallel, right there. Then in the New Testament, what do we see when Paul's out there preaching his first journey with Barnabas? There in Antioch, he preaches the gospel in the synagogue, and the Jews reject him, but the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are excited to hear it. So the next weekend, they all show up to hear him, but he said to the Jews, you count yourselves unworthy and you reject the gospel. We now turn to the Gentiles. So this group of people... Shake the dust off your feet. Literally, it happened in the, in the New Testament. Shifting to this group of people. When God makes a shift, you want to make sure that you're shifting with him. You don't want to get left behind in the shift, right? Whatever's going on in our country right now, for the Church of Jesus Christ in America, he's moving with people who are moving with him. And he's leaving people behind who live in fear and carnality. What's shifting is the church going to discipleship. That's what's going on right now. I'm certain of it. And so, like Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. And I've been saying this a lot lately. We want to make sure that we're the ones who are chosen in the sense that we get it. Jesus said, let him or who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says. And so often, a multitude hears Jesus, but when it's all said and done, he feeds 5,000. How many are really walking with him? Very few. Because wide and broad is a path that leads to destruction, and narrow is a gate that leads to life. And the cost of discipleship is everything. And Jesus Christ is doing the church in America a huge favor in 2020. He's eliminating the distractions, the frivolity of meaningless things that have no bearing on eternity, and he's sharpening our vision for those who call on Jesus to be focused on him, his promises, the relationships that really matter, and the eternal purposes of God in each of our lives and collectively for this brief journey that we call life. That's what he's doing. He's eliminating distractions for those who are really entering in, and for those who need an excuse to just fade away, there's plenty of them.
So it's the switch. Next. Who's got next? Who's stepping up? Who's going to enter into the promises of God? And when we think about the promised land, because this is what we're talking about here, when you have come into the land you're to inhabit, which I'm giving you, it's the promised land. And so when we look at the promised land in the Old Testament, we have to ask ourselves, is the promised land a type of heaven? Well, not really when you think how it played out in the book of Joshua and after the fact. But really, the ultimate promised land for the believer is heaven. Because all of our hope and glory is heaven. Jesus said, store up our treasures in heaven where thieves and moth cannot destroy. For our treasure is, our, our heart will be also. So ultimately, the promised land, you know, if you pull this out, the promised land ultimately is heaven, to be in glory. Paul said to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, and to stay is beneficial for you, but to depart is better for me. For to live is Christ and die is gain. But many times when people break down this passage for New Testament believers, they would say, well, really, a better picture of the promised land for us in time is the abundant life that we can have in Christ. It's the spirit-filled life. It's a fruitful life. It's just that place where we're truly walking with the Lord, serving the Lord faithfully, and bearing fruit. When Jesus taught the parable of the soils, he talked about four types of people who hear the word of God in the human experience. The first one hears it, it means nothing to them, and the devil plucks this, the word of God right out of their heart. It's like they heard it and then they didn't hear it. They're like zombies, which isn't surprising because it seems like a lot of people on this planet are acting like zombies right now. No critical thinking, no processing of thought processes, just the blind leading the blind, literally. The second group are those who receive it. Oh, this sounds good. Go to heaven. That I, I could use some eternal insurance for sure. I'd like to go to heaven, but I want to live like hell. So those people, they take no root. And when there's real persecution, and we find what you're made of, a little bit of tribulation and affliction, they, they, they wilt. Then that third group are the thorns, where they're like going to serve the Lord, but then the cares of this life. It's always the next job. It's the next paycheck. It's the next relationship. It's the next this or that. It's always some carrot in front of them, always reaching for it. You know, and, just, and it never... It's always something more. It's always a distraction. Many distractions, and they don't bear fruit. But the last one bears 30, 60, 100 fold of the fruit, we're told, from Jesus in that parable of the soils. And that's what we want to be. We want to be the people that will bear great fruit in our journey. And so when we step up and we think about entering into everything God has for us, we think about ultimately the prize of the promised land is eternity to be in glory. But we also think about in timeline that whatever amount of years we have in our life for the days were fashioned for us when as yet there was none of them. And they are written in your book uh, those days and your thoughts from me are more than the sand. Psalm 139 says that ultimately we want to fulfill these days. And that's why Paul said to redeem the time for the days are evil. So in one sense, we want to enter into the promised land with an abundant, full life of fulfilling everything God has for us in each, what each of us has left with our life. And some might have more or less, obviously, in this room. But on the other hand, the ultimate entering in is to really enter into glory and hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, because we fulfilled this. We have the full fruition of, and comprehension of that, heaven itself. So it really is the promised land is just being everything we're meant to be in time. We could say that, a spirit-filled life, but it's also ultimately the kingdom itself to be in glory, like Revelation chapter 5 describes where everyone's worshiping and throwing their crowns before Jesus, the King of Kings, before he sets it all straight and all the glory is established. So this is what we're looking for. This is what we're looking to, and it's next. Who's got next? Who's stepping up? God's starting over. It's a reboot. It's a reload. It's a whole new team. It's a whole new office staff. 
They quit. All right, so here's our company. Here's what we do. Here's how we do it. It's like the Lord saying, you people tested me 10 times. You don't want to just, you said, I'm going to kill your children in the wilderness. You're there. Just do your march. Do your thing. Have your rebellion. The earth will swallow you up. The fire will come down. Just whatever. You'll choke on the quail while you're eating it. Just do your thing. The, the wheat and the tares, they go together. But you people who next, who wants to step up and enter into the promised land? I do. How many people under 21? Yeah, that's really, like that's what God's saying. It's now your turn and your opportunity. He's recruiting. He's recruiting the next generation, everyone under 20. And he's recruiting us now to be everything we can be. If we get to the end of 2020 and we call ourselves Christians and we are not fully focused and on fire for the kingdom, we have to ask ourselves, what did we get out of 2020? Because if this doesn't put you on fire, if this doesn't sharpen your vision for the kingdom, if this doesn't make you passionate for the lost and the coming glory, I don't know what possibly could, except maybe 2021. Who knows? But, you know, if you're growing in 2020, I know you'll grow in 2021. If you're not growing in 2020, I'm not sure you'll grow in 2021. Because we know in the book of Revelation that when the trumpets and the bowls are all going down, people don't repent no matter what. I mean, it's all going down. And it says, yet they did not repent of their sexual morality, their sorceries, their thefts, and their murders. Revelation 9. So that's what I'm saying. It's so crucial that if we confess Christ in 2020, anytime, but 2020, especially now, is that we're getting it. You and I want to enter into everything God has for us, this side of the promised land, the time, space, and matter promised land. And we definitely want to enter into the fullest glory possible for eternity, the ultimate promised land that God has for us. Realize this. There's a day coming on the calendar when all of us in this room are not alive on this planet. If the Lord doesn't come back, we're still not going to be alive on this planet. There's no one in this room, I can look around, that looks to me be under 15. Like, by 2021, if the Lord tarries, you know, 21, the year 2100, most of us, if not all of us, are not here. That's why I love studying history. That's why I love to read about all these things of history. It fascinates me because they all lived. They all, you know, Catherine the Great, she went through the Black Plague and they had quarantines and they shut down churches and they shut down theaters in 1760 in Moscow. But also the plague was killing 35% of the population. It was a real pandemic. And they survived it. They shut the border with Turkey for two years. And so the soldiers fighting those ongoing wars with the Turks, they had to stay in the south below Ukraine until the, the plague was lifted. They did things that we're doing right now, but not for .0004. A third of the population died. And they had to deal with their pandemics. And people they loved got sick in five days and they dropped dead. Even the queen's lover, who she loved more than anyone, got sick in five days he died. That's human history. And they're all in eternity. They're all in eternity by 1830. We're all going to be in eternity. See, we get so deceived by the temporal that we miss the eternal. And that's why I love history, my favorite subject. Because there's nothing new under the sun. And you can be the most powerful woman in the world. And Catherine the Great was the most powerful woman in the world. And yet, you can't make men love you. You can't make men be faithful to you. Not even a mighty queen like she. You can save Russia. You can have Voltaire as a best friend with your enlightenment. But in the end, you get sick. You get in excruciating pain. And you die. Just like Peter the Great did 60 years prior. See, we're just, it's about the kingdom. I'm so glad you're here at church, and I'm so glad the kingdom matters to us. 
I am so grateful that the Lord is stirring our hearts to gather together and study his word. When? When you enter in. See, with the promises of God, it's never if, but when. It's not if. Now, there's a lot of ifs. You know, the Bible's got a lot of ifs, and there's quite a few in the New Testament that get your attention. If you continue, if. <laughs> there's a few ifs, man. The first couple of years I was saying, I'm like, I'm not sure I like this if. But this is correct in the Greek, this if. I just want to make sure as it comes to English, this is correct. No, that's correct. Greek's an absolute language, and it's verbiage. It's, if it's if in Greek, it's, it's if. Like, the ifs, you just go like, wow. The ifs are usually dealing with human behavior. If you, if you, with God, it's like, when? You know, when Jesus said, he didn't say, if the Son of Man returns, what did he say? When the Son of Man returns. God's when, we're if. And that's comforting because it's about his when here. When you come in. God's going to keep his word in God's timing. Now, God's timing works unique for different people. But the promises are promises. Again, we've talked about this. In this room, if we're born of the Spirit of God and we're born again, we have 100% of the promises applied. Not 20% because we're bad this week or 80% because we're better next week. And only Franklin Graham has the full 100% along with his sister Ann Graham Lotz. No. All the promises are yes and amen. So the issue isn't about entering in that we wrestle with so often, but it is the when, and God does have a when. So let's think about this. When is unique. You know, if these people over 20 had believed God when they went to spot the land, they could have been in the land in nine days. They could have been in there in nine days. Nine days. But because their infidelity, their children bear the brunt, and they walk in the wilderness in the desert for 38 years. Wow. We have to accept that God's timing is always the right timing for our abundant life, for our victories, for our fullness of life, fullness of the calling of God, for that fruitful season, as we talked about with the priesthood, that 30 to 50 year window, and then what comes after that. Like God's timing with things that excruciate us, things that are difficult, but his when is when. So the biggest win is when we step into eternity is the when, when it's over. When we step into eternity, that's the ultimate win. But until then, as we're just trying to live a fruitful life like the, the next generation, what, what does they want under 21? They want uh, free health care. Uh, they don't want student loans. They want uh, a job with meaning and purpose. They want to give love and receive love, and they want to stay forever young. Alas, the last one, we can't do much to help you, nor can any government. They just want to live life. They want to fall in love, give love, reciprocate love. You know what it's like to hold a crying child? You know, like, they just want to have the human experience. They want a roof over their heads. They, they want a, a wonderful meal at Thanksgiving every day. You know, like, we remember what it's like to be young. God has good things for his people. But remember, in time for fruitful life and eternity for glory, he's working things on a timeline that are specifically set for each generation in general and for specific people within the generation, what he's teaching them. Think about Jeremiah for a minute, the prophet Jeremiah. He lived around uh, 620 B.C., and he was a, a very great prophet, right? He has a book, Jeremiah. And he lived in a very difficult time. It was the destruction of 
the southern kingdom. He watched Nebuchadnezzar come in waves and take the people away captive. Daniel, Meshach, Abednego, all those guys. Wave after wave. He prophesied to the kings that said, what does the Lord say? And he tells them they don't believe it. And then they get their eyes poked out and dragged off to Babylon as well. Then everyone's gone in Babylon and there's a remnant there. And they say, what do we do? He tells them what they do. They still don't believe them. They go down to Egypt and they all get plundered by the Babylonians and come after them down there. That was his timeline. It's over 50 chapters of a life when he lived his life was the destruction of a nation. And yet he stayed faithful the whole time. And he wrote Lamentations as well and declared the faithfulness. So God was working in Daniel's life during that time. And that's just what he was working with. Excuse me, with Jeremiah in that time, what he's working with there in Jerusalem. He never left the promised land. But Daniel, at the same time, this is the same time as contemporary, he goes away to Babylon and he's raised in Babylon, stands faithfully for the Lord his entire lifetime in Babylon, and he's going everything God has for him. It, it didn't change him. His external, his, their timeline did not change who they were. And the trials and tribulations of Jeremiah the prophet and Daniel the prophet in two different places of the same faith, didn't, they didn't change them. The word burned in Jeremiah's heart, and Daniel opened the window and prayed to the Lord facing Jerusalem, as was his custom, three times a day with his life on the line for it. This just reminds us that when is God's timing? God promised to Jeremiah that the captives would come back to the promised land, but it wasn't for Daniel. It wasn't for Daniel. It was for Ezra and those guys. It was just a different crew. So we can't get caught up on like what comes along in our timeline that affects our external environment. What we need to focus on is who we are entering in with the Lord in our timeline, specifically to bless our timeline, like Jeremiah or even Ezekiel at the same time, and Daniel. That's what we have to do. The when, hey, if we go when, if we say when to the Lord, Lord, how long? Well, actually, David did that in quite a few Psalms, right? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Like, when is when? Mary and Martha, if you'd only been here on time, my brother wouldn't have died. Well, God can raise the dead, and he did. Lazarus come forth from the grave. God's when is God's timing. We prepare our hearts. So think about this. For 38 years, what would be the best thing you could do as a 20-year-old in the wilderness? You're going to be 58 when you go in the promised land. We'll make you 19. We'll make you 57. So you're 19, and you'll be 57 when you enter in, and you've got to go into combat. What could you do for 38 years? Well, you, would, you could grow in your faith. You could, you could study God's word. You could hang around the tabernacle. You could be anticipating things. You could go over in your mind. You wake up, wake up in the morning and say, God, I know you promised. You promised that land to us. God, I remember that night. I was, I was only 19. It was my, my second year of college, and I was there. And Joshua and Caleb, they cried, and they begged for people. I remember, Lord, they tore their clothes saying, we can go in, we can go in, we can go in. And my parents rejected it. God, why? Nonetheless, I believe it, and I'm going to stay faithful. For these 38 years, and when Caleb goes in, I'm going in right behind him. That's what you do. When you're waiting on your win, and you're marching around the desert for 38 years, in fact, we're told in Deuteronomy, they marched in circles. <laughs> That's even worse. <laughs> like, I mean, they actually went in circles in the wilderness. We're told that in Deuteronomy. God's timing when sometimes he uses people grading us in a difficult way, Sometimes he uses tribulations and trials and even tragedy. But all those things are working to prepare us for the day of the Lord in eternity. The when is always his business. But don't ever doubt the yes of his promise. 
It's not if he's going to keep his promises. His promises are yes and amen. It's just when. When he's going to keep those promises. For all the universe, for his church, and for each individual in their timeline. Every promise is yes and amen in Jesus. And sometimes he allows things. He allows things to test us. To see what we're going to do. How we're going to respond. How we're going to handle this. He allows things to grow us. To become more fruitful in time. Promised land. To be more fruitful and useful for all eternity. What he ultimately has for us. In the ultimate promised land. The kingdom. The wind belongs to the Lord. It's not how many years we live. But how fruitful we are in those years. And we just want to be faithful. Think about David. When he was anointed king by Samuel. He was 17. It's pretty... You know, you're a senior in high school and you get anointed king. That's pretty awesome. Think back to when you're 17. If you're over 30, think back to your life between 17 and 30, all the things that you learned about love, heartache, work, employment, show up on time, show up late, get fired, all the things you learned about givers, takers, faith, unbelief. There's a big difference between a 17-year-old high school male and a 30-year-old man. There should be. <laughs> there should be. That's the difference between being anointed king and being ready to be king. It took 13 years for David to be the king, and even when he became king, it was in increments. It took seven years from the time he was the king to be fully king over all the 12 tribes of Israel. He was only the king of the tribe of Judah for seven years. God's timing with everything. Let him work in us to work through us to make us fruitful for his behalf here and for all eternity, the when. I, I, I got to share this. When Melissa Henning Camp, Jeremy Camp's wife, had cancer, and some of you were there at Worship Generation in 2000 at Calvary Costa Mesa. Jeremy was our worship leader, and Melissa Henning Camp was his fiance. It was such an amazing night that night where, where we thanked the Lord for healing her of her cancer. Daniel, I know you were there at that time, you and Donna. I don't know how many else were around at that time, but... It was a very special time, and we were rejoicing because she had had ovarian cancer, and she was engaged, and she was going to her wedding day, and, um, and she, they were going to take out her remaining ovaries so she'd have no children. So she's going to have the, no chance of children on her wedding day. That's pretty, you know, like, that's a pretty big deal. And God, we cried out for healing, and she was healed. I mean, she was supernaturally, completely healed of cancer on her remaining ovary. And so on her wedding day, which I was at with my wife, this beautiful bride, she had the hope of not only the love with her husband, Jeremy, but the hope of children for her future. And then this beautiful honeymoon in Hawaii on the North Shore of Oahu. And she came home and the cancer was back. And she passed away. But her last words were, I am healed. Did any promises fail her? No. No. Did any promises fail Jeremy Camp? No. After all, he's the one that said, I still believe, right? Oh, and I will walk by faith, right? 21 years, Melissa Henning Camp. I saw her step into eternity. She entered in. But God gave a great miracle before she did. What is God going to do with us for abundant life on this side of time and eternity and preparing us for all eternity? I was at a memorial, too. That was my wife. The when of eternity is coming, and the glory is coming, but the when of being fruitful, that's, 
Every season, everything in increments, everything God's doing, if you're waiting for 13 years like David to be king or you're waiting to be healed from cancer and you are and then you're gone. It's just, God knows. But he says he's going to take them to the land that they're going to inhabit. And again, he reaffirms to them that he's given them this land. The land that you're going to inhabit, I'm giving to you. So then you go into this land and this land is their calling. It's not their parents' calling. We know that. This land is their choice to believe the promises. This land is their purposes in getting ready for the land and then entering into the land. As I was talking about Jeremiah earlier, I mentioned he's a prophet. Think about this when you think about God's calling on your life and a fruitful life for the eternal life. But Jeremiah's dad was a priest, but Jeremiah was a prophet. Again, each timeline, each generation has its own choices. And the abundant life that God has for each one of us is what he has for each one of us for the eternal purposes for all eternity, but working in time. And it's never the same for two people. But we know when we think about entering into the promised land, this side of eternity, it is a life that's abundant life. It's a spiritual life. It's a joyful life. But all that we're doing in this journey of a temporal promised land is to prepare us for that eternal promised land. And if you think about this, the land of destination really is our destiny. I was thinking about this today. Our life purpose is a destiny from the Lord. Ultimately, your life purpose, when it's all said and done, like Melissa Camp's memorial, your life purpose is a destiny of faith for the day of the Lord. It's a destination. Heaven is the destination. Heaven is our home. And there's a destiny fulfilled in that. And think how many people just don't even come close to fulfilling their God-given destinies of the purpose of their life. They just come up short. They, they take it flippantly. How few are the people like Joshua and Caleb who just grab on to those promises and they just keep charging and charging and charging. I said last week, Sihon and Og, the kings on the east side, they're just the next obstacle to get to the destiny. Joshua is great. We don't remember Joshua for being a great general when he's young, defeating the Amalekites. And we don't remember him forbidding, telling Moses to forbid those guys to prophesy in the, in, the, in the tabernacle era when everyone's outside prophesying out here, right? Like, there's little things about Joshua's life. You go, oh, look at Joshua. He wants to, like, police the prophets or something, you know? We saw that a couple of chapters ago. No, remember Joshua triumphantly leading Israel, marching on Jericho in obedience to the Lord. That's a long journey that's a destiny uh, to your destination to fulfill your destiny. And how wonderful at the end of his life he could say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. He, he fulfilled it. He fulfilled the whole journey from ripping their clothes years before, decades before, begging the people to listen to him. In the end, he led their children into that promised land. And then when he was stepping into eternity at the age of 110, they're all grown up now too. And they've got there's great-grandchildren now that all that Children have been born in the promised land. He said, I'm going to tell you, you can serve the gods on that side of the river or you can serve the Lord. But as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Man, he fulfilled it. Just fulfilled it. He had abundant life. The weddings, his, just the children growing up. Caleb, his abundant life. The weddings, the kids, the grandkids, they, they got it. On this side, for all eternity. That's what we want. He's given it to us. 
we got to believe these promises. They're firm to us, and he's given them to us, and we got to take them. So I close with this thought. When we think about abundant life this side and the, the, the journey toward the destination and the destiny of the whole thing, and I think about what life is in front of each one of us tonight, how many years in front of us, and as we move toward the promised land and the fullness of all things that God has for us and what he's doing in the church in America, what he's doing with the church worldwide tonight, I ask myself these questions. What will I do as I move forward toward the promised land? What am I going to do with the promises of God for my life, with the people I love, with my father at 90, moving home in December? What will I do with the promises for my children and my children's children? What am I going to do with the promises of God in his word? Am I going to hold fast to him? Am I going to trust him? What am I going to do with his warnings? Because the rest of this chapter was accidental sin, presumptuous sin, picking up sticks and wearing tassels. What am I going to do? Is my sin going to be accidental or presumptuous? Is my, am I going to take seriously what God takes seriously that costs someone their life? Am I going to be willing to stand for the Lord in difficult things? like the people had to against the guy picking up the sticks on the Sabbath? Am I willing to be attacked and accused for being harsh because sin is sin, will always be sin, will always bring forth death? Am I willing to call sin, sin, at the expense of being ostracized and canceled by a culture? I hope so. I know Joshua and Caleb were, and I know the under 20 were supposed to. And am I willing to restrain myself? Do I need a tattoo? Right? Will tassels do? Or will I just be sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to just simply obey because it's, it's never a matter of common sense. It's just a matter of will. For Jesus said, you were not willing. And so I can only hope I'll be willing. I can only hope we'll be willing. Will we be willing to break the cycle of defeat from previous generations before us? In my own family, there was infidelity, alcoholism, and I praise the Lord that he's protected me from such things in 33 years going forward since giving my life to Christ. We don't have to repeat the sins of our parents. We don't have to repeat the sins of, as a pastor, I don't need to repeat the sins of pastors who are twisted in their thinking and renounce the Lord and renounce confidence in his word. I don't have to do that. I can trust him in his word. And I can hold fast to his word like Paul the Apostle and others like him in church history. As we enter the promised land which God has given us that we're going to inhabit, are we going to let his spirit transform our character and improve our conduct? Are we going to let his spirit guide us? Will the tassel keep us in line to be a blessing to our family and the people we love? Will seeing people executed for picking up sticks on the Sabbath quicken us to know how serious it is to serve the Lord and that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I hope so. I hope that I will walk in the fullness of the promised land continually as a disciple, a husband, a father, a grandfather, and a pastor. I want to fulfill everything God has for me 
in this back end as I move towards 60. And I want to encourage you to fulfill everything God has for you on the front end, in the middle, or the very back end of what your timeline is. Because it's never a matter of if we can enter into those promises. It's just a matter of when, when we believe them. And it's just a matter of being willing to grow in the promised land and fulfill our destiny as we move toward our destination of heaven being our home. Because remember what Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven.